When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by an actor, comedian. He's a huge Mariner fan. Last but not least, he's a USC Trojan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Adam Ray. Adam, thanks for coming on. Mariner Lynn. Thanks for having me, Booney. This is a, uh, for all all of you guys listening to the Boom Podcast, this is is like a true Mariner fan. I've I've gone through, I I, I looked at everything I could for, from a content standpoint for Adam, and and he's always rocking the Mariner gear. Yeah. Just referred off camera, and I'll let him, uh, I'll let him tell you, but. (laughs) He knows intricate stuff. He knows like AAA teammates of mine that that ended up being Mariner for a short time. But uh, it's really I love I I love having I love having people on from other genres that really know sports and that and that's why Adam was a perfect fit coming on and I appreciate you doing that. How much Mariner gear you got? I mean, every time I see your dress, I, I checked out your all star all star appearance with Millar on the uh, at the booth. Yeah. We're fully yeah, yeah. Mariner gear. Mariner logos I've never worn as a Mariner. Two different tenures, but how much how much gear do you get? You know, I, I try to uh, head down to Simply Seattle uh, anytime I get home, and they hook me up with uh, kind of as much paraphernalia as um, as I'll you know aggressively ask for. And you know, I try I rock it. You know, uh, during a lot of shows, during press appearances. Anytime I can, I probably would have worn a um, Henry Cotto jersey in my special I just recorded had I been uh, granted logo access. But you got to go logo free in most of these recordings. But um, yeah, I I don't know. We also got blessed with good colors. My wife is a, an AZ fan, but we uh, went to a Mariners Angels game in Anaheim and she's like, God, what a, a blessing that you guys got cool colors and also a lot to work with under that banner of colors. Anaheim with just red and white, it was like they threw black in there, and that's kind of it. I mean, we got, you know, blues and, and turquoises and purples. I mean, flavors that a bowl of Fruity Pebbles would would get super hard over. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like we have so many different flavors and, and, and just uh, combinations that uh, I feel like, you know, the, the money that they've made off of merch is uh, probably uh, mind-boggling. And uh, that alone should allow us to go after some free agents. So if you're a Mariners front office guy and you're listening, fucking step it up, fellas, because I'm taking the opportunity on the Brett Boone podcast to tell you that just because Shohei's gone now doesn't mean he won't be available. And right, We're fucked. Um, but go ahead, Brett. We, yeah, now, I love the need, Mariners gear, top to bottom. We, we need some hitters. You know, it's weird because as a fan – all right, now as a – ex-Mariner now it's been 15 years since I retired but as a player I hated when they'd have funky jersey night or this or that players kind of like 
they like to know what's going on. So we had the white, you know, white homes or the classics and the gray roads. Yeah. Uh, but then we had the alternate jersey. And and the only guy that would wear it would be Jamie Moyer because we let the pitcher pick the jersey. And every time Moyer would pitch, I'd yell at him across the clubhouse. I said, you know, I hate that jersey. Don't make me wear it. And you're going to have to look for offense from somebody else if you want to get a win tonight <laughs> if you wear these jerseys. I tried to strong John Aldridge hits two cycles. Right. I tried, yeah. I tried to uh, I tried to strong arm him. He wouldn't give in. He goes, no, nah, Boone, I, I trust you might do something. It, it's not about the jersey. But now being kind of removed, I, I kind of like, like you're saying, there's so much merch out there. Major League Baseball in general is making a ton of money on it. But I think it's cool. I think it's cool, all these different unis. I even thought in a million years I would never think this as a player, putting on a pair of black pants. That kind of reminds me, that's kind of like – like a semi-pro softball uniform. But I watched totally. the Mariners this year. I actually, I got to admit, I liked them. Yeah, what are those called? The, um, it's the, uh, that whole, the the red to the black and the, with the blue jerseys that they uh, threw it. out there. It's, I like Yeah, it. it's, it's sharp, dude. It's, I mean, uh, you know, I'll be honest too. It's like the more different styles and throwbacks, uh, it's like, you know, there's going to be somebody out there that's going to go on eBay and want to order some black pants and a, you know, silver blue Dave Fleming jersey and drink five if you're playing the Dave Fleming drinking game at home, which is every time his name is mentioned, you chug a four loco and you snort some Tylenol PM. Um, Yeah, man, my buddies and I used to play a game uh, with, uh, we played this on the way to spring training, I want to say. First spring training I went to was 95. And uh, before that, uh, before that epic season, you had just what, left or you were in your first stint? I signed in nine. I got to the big leagues in ninety two. I left in ninety three. I got traded to the Reds on That's my right. first tenure with him. Yeah, right. Uh, but I remember you getting drafted because that was the um, uh, or, or signing with us. Wait, drafted by us or signed by us? Drafted in ninety. Yeah, drafted by, in ninety out of USC by the Mariners. Went through the yeah. minor leagues with the Mariners. Got to the big leagues in ninety two. Played through ninety three got traded a week into the off season when Lou said that I'd be there for the next 15 years. And I, I got the call. I was actually on my honeymoon, I think. And I got the call that I got traded. And the first thing that went through my mind, Oh, now I have to kind of reestablish myself in a different league. Uh, ended up really enjoying Cincinnati. Had had some good years over there. Bebopped over to Atlanta, San Diego, and then, and then back for the early two thousands run that I had with the Mariners. You've probably, so I, yeah, you've probably explained this at great length, but can you just tell me, I don't know if this question has been thrown your way, getting, uh, obviously, your second stint with us was fucking incredible, and, and you know, you were fan favorite before, and then, you know, doubled down on that when you came back, but being there when, when Griffey's there, and then leaving, and, like, is there a small piece of you that's, like, obviously, like you said, you're having to reestablish yourself in a different city, in a different league, but is there a small piece of you that's, like, Oh man, like I was kind of looking forward to getting to watch this guy live for a little bit. And that's just obviously there's so many other factors at play, but is that in there at all of like a little bit of disappointment of like, oh, that would have been cool to like watch this happen live? You know, I got to play with Kenny when I was a when I was a kid, when I was first coming up. We're the same age. And right. I and I I tell this story often about Kenny. Um, you know, I got to the minor leagues really quick and I thought I was pretty hot stuff when I got to the big leagues. You know, I get there and and that was the first time I had a little humble pie at the big league level is 
I'm grinding. I'm trying. I've done everything in the minor leagues. That's the reason you get called to the big leagues. Now I got to establish myself and prove that I belong here. And I'm the right. same age. I'm the kid in the minor leagues. Everybody, I'm the youngest guy on my AAA team, get to the big leagues. And Kenny's my age. But I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, this guy's my age. He's already been, he's already been here for, th- he's already been an all-star twice. And I'm just getting here trying to establish myself. That's when I knew how, how great of a player he actually was. And it was kind of mind boggling for me. I, I see young players nowadays. It's, it's a different, it's a different landscape in the big leagues. Now they, they rush the kids a little quicker. You're seeing a lot of 21 year olds, 22 year olds back in my time. That wasn't the norm, you know, for Griffey to come up at 18, 19 years old, that was like something that never happens. And the fact that right. he was that good, that early, I got to see it. He was just different than the rest of us still to this day. Best. And I got to play with a lot of great players, Adam. Kenny, T to green, I'd use, I'll use a golf analogy, best player I've ever played with. Uh, and wow. I got to play with some great ones. I got to play with Tony Gwynn in, uh, yeah. in San Diego. It, and I'm just talking hitters. You know, when sure. I was in Atlanta, I played with Chipper Jones, who's, who's kind of, if if there's something, if somebody's underrated, Chipper Jones to me, he he's so good. I was just going to uh, say that. Yeah. You know, the Larkins and and Eric Davis's and, and – uh, Cincinnati. Kevin Mitchell was was a great, great hitter. But I got to play with a yeah. lot of guys. Edgar Martinez, who's to this day still one of my best friends and one of the best right-handed hitters of our generation. Uh, but when it's all said and done, uh, the things Kenny did, it, it was just kind of like he was born a little different than the rest of us. Probably how LeBron sure. is in the NBA or, or a, you yeah. know, a Tom Brady. It's just a little, it's a step up from everybody else. But I was appreciative of the time. Still friends with Kenny to this day. He helped me a lot when I was a kid, you know, sucking my thumb under the bleachers where nobody could see me because I'm hitting 197 <laughs> and I've never hit 197. And he's he kind of came to me as a father figure and said, Booney, listen. And he would give me advice. But you're not used to getting advice from your peers, you know, that are the same yeah. age. So yeah. uh, he he was good to me early. And uh, obviously his 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 career speaks for itself. Um. Well, Did dude, it's a, it's a fucking, yeah, I appreciate you. I can listen to you. You're going to have to come on my podcast at some point and we'll just re and we'll let I'll truly, you know, just tee up some, some answers and you could just talk for days. Cause I mean, this is a real treat for me to, to get to ask, uh, be asked to come on your show because of, you know, my fandom uh, for you and just, uh, how, how important I think, you know, uh, the the Mariners are to the city, but like if you could be a part of a, a squad that really made some noise, like you were, I mean, like you guys, I mean, it's every other home game. They're like, and here are the 2001 Mariners to honor them again, just <laughs> yeah, to let yeah, us know yeah. how fucking great it used to be, you know. And you know, but so so that's you know that's not by mistake, but but getting to watch that shit day in and day out, and you know, basketball is my favorite sport, and then the Sonics left. I uh, was what I probably two years removed. I went to SC for acting school, right? Oh, one to five. I was there during the uh, Trojan war, the Pete Carroll years. And then obviously then he bounced up to Seattle. So got the best of both worlds, but you know, basketball kind of took a back seat for me. Cause I was like, I, I got no emotional attachment. I like players. I'm rooting on Jamal Crawford and other Seattle boys, but, but you know, I'm, I'm really taking a, uh, a season off, I guess, emotionally, as far as getting invested, which was you know nice for a, a couple seasons and then you realize how much you miss hoops but it allowed me to put more of my I think energy into you know Seahawks and M's for sure which always has been a big part of my life I mean my buddies and I used to take the bus 
from the Albertsons in Lake Forest Park that I ended up working at in high school. We take that uh, down to the kingdom, uh, you know, four or five days a week during the summer uh, from like, you know, 93 to, to 90, you know, uh, 7, 98. And we'd go to the Albertsons. We'd get a fucking big poster board and a Sharpie. We'd make a sign every time. We definitely had some like, you know, uh, the I think we wrote one called like the Boone the Boone Bone Machine one time. We had a fucking getting Deucey with it sign for Rob Deucey. Yeah, right. uh, I mean, a couple of these made it on the Jumbotron when there was uh, when, you know, the games were uh, were a little lighter on the attendance side. They'd be like, we got to cut to something. And if we cut to that fat Jewish kid for a fourth time dancing with a big gulp that he brought in me, uh, we're going to get fired. So they had to cut to uh, some of our signs instead. But um, that time, dude, was so, you know, insane as a Mariner fan. And then I guess speed it up to uh you know 95 and then obviously 2001 and 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 even years before and years after that man like you know it just the longevity of baseball adds a little something extra special when you do get over that hump or at least have a season that's like worth worth writing home about and uh man that uh that that season you got to be a part of um and really just that that time for for the organization I feel like is pretty special and and I would venture to assume that you don't you know uh not think about that shit often because I don't know, man, I definitely, if I have a, a good uh, weekend of shows, like I did this, this weekend in AZ or, or for my special in Madison a few months ago or, or whenever it's like, once you find a, a groove, you know, I don't know how many years you were into to playing in that 2001 level, I guess 11 years, right? You said 90, you were, you were uh, drafted. 90. I was drafted. Yeah. So I, I was eight or nine years in the big leagues when I, when I got to that 2001 year and yeah, you know, when you think about Major League Baseball and where the, you know, they always say St. Louis, the fans are unbelievable. And obviously in Boston and yeah. New York and Philly, those cities are big time sports, sports cities. But I got to live it and what you're talking about, the early 2000s in Seattle. And I saw something that I have never seen on a day in and day out basis in the early 2000s. At, at You know, back then it was Safeco. Now it's T-Mobile Park. And I can't explain it to other people. I said, you know, I've been to Boston. I've been to Yankee Stadium, game six of the World Series, or no, game four of the World Series. And that's a special place, trust me. But the day in and day out, I've never seen anything like Seattle. And and that's why I root so hard. I'd love to see them make a real run, go deep into the postseason, get to a World Series. Because Seattle's one of those towns that nobody thinks of as a huge sports city. But I'm telling you, mm. you win in Seattle. They will come out, and there's a lot of fans like yourself that just can't get enough. It's like, man, I just want the Mariners to win so bad. I had uh, Joe yeah. McHale was, oh, nice. was in the softball game with me at oh uh, yeah this year at the All Star game, and he came up. Bro, the trust me, I watched you, with all the jealousy. I was, oh, I, I, I even, get get, I even gotta, got put. Bro, I played in I played in the NBA Celeb All Star Game in 2019. I played in uh, the last two uh, uh, games for the um, Cliff Averill, Doug Baldwin, and Michael Bennett at this Champions of Change uh, Celebrity Basketball Game at Climate Pledge. But I mean, as far as Seattle comedians or like actors go, man, you know, myself and Joel are like uh, nobody reps the city harder. And it's like I've thrown out a couple M's for his pitches. Depoto's been on my podcast. France, Rick Riz, and all the broadcasters are now like you know lifelong homies. Uh, you know, they have a, a video that plays of me to do like Mariners fans, like, let's get fired up. Like yeah. during rally times, I'm like, dude, how much more fucking a part of the squad can I be? And so uh, I got put in touch with some guy at MLB and, and he inevitably be, uh, inevitably told me, he goes, 
you got to have 500,000 uh, followers on Instagram or more is how they're doing it. And I was like, well, dude, I've got, you know, uh, uh, you know, billions of views on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, like it's about a half a mil on all those uh, separately. But but uh, and then I see Jojo Siwa's playing and I'm like, jo- man, I get jo- it because she's famous. But like, come <laughs> on, man, she she probably couldn't even spell Puyallup. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. And I didn't know they were doing it that way. It makes sense, though, because I they call me to do the the game. And I thought about you crushed it, it, by the way. It was a lot of fun to watch it. You and Joel even like mixing it up. I was pumped about. Go ahead. Yeah, and he's a he's a huge baseball fan, and he yeah. loves. And you can tell oh, yeah. he's at first base, and he's he's asking me he's playing it cool, like it's no big deal. I'm Joel McKay, but at the same time, you can no, tell man, that he was out. really in his element. Like this is so yeah. cool playing, and they that was the cool part for me seeing that. And when I first got there, you know, I agreed to do it, and and I got there, and you know, we go to the locker room, and I'm I'm looking at these guys, and I see McHale walk in, I said, talk soup guy. First thing I said, because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm 54 years old. Oh, yeah. And all these other guys are walking in. I got no clue who they are. You mentioned JoJo Siwa. My my stepdaughters are like, Brett, you've got to get a picture with JoJo Siwa. And I'm like, who is she? So I go up <laughs> yeah. to her in the elevator. I said, sweetheart, I said, I need a picture with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I cool. found out who she was. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was a lot. It was about influencers and, and how much you could get that the event out there on, you know, on the internet. So I, you know, I get it, it. but it's, uh, how's your, uh, I I actually had um, a good time. I had a good time. I was a little worried about how my body was going to hold up. And I I remember before we, uh, played, I I think I was leading off and Cameron, who's a great friend of mine, he, he played in the game and he comes up to me, he goes, Booney, what are you going to do? I said, ah, Cammy, I haven't swung a bat. And I don't, I said, I'm going to try to hit a homer to left field and we'll, we'll find out how the ball's carrying, how these balls are, the bats, because we don't know. So I hit it, and I hit it okay, and I and I came back, and he looked at me when I was rounding third, and he goes, you told me exactly what you're going to do. I said, don't worry about it. You can go to any part of the yard. The balls are pretty pretty lively. <laughs> so he went up there, and he hit a home run. But it, I, I, I went into it. When I pulled onto the field, I thought, what did I get myself into? And then after it was all <laughs> said and done, I, I really enjoyed myself. It, it was fun being out there. And I was impressed how good the YouTubers and the guys that I didn't expect anything out of, they did really well. Oh, yeah. My boy, uh, Adam Devine, um, I officiated yeah, his wedding. It. Do you know who that is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he did well. He's got a good uh, – He, I know he couldn't play because he had a bum hip, but um, – but he was out there base coaching and whatnot. But uh, yeah, those those things are so great. The city did a great job with that. Did you think um, h- how different was that experience versus uh, 2001 when there was obviously, you know, 15 of us there? And I think I mean, that's there's always it looks like three or four from the teams that are playing well. But I think we truly had eight or nine, which really? was insane, dude. And was that does that make, did that make it way more fun or was it also like? You know, All right, it, we're at the halfway point. There's the pressure is obviously now apparent for us to do damage the rest of the way. Completely different. Uh, yeah. 2001, you're a player. This is what I'm doing. I'm not worried about it. Usually, the all you know the All Star break is a time to kind of relax. It doesn't matter if I get two hits tonight. But I remember that particular season, how special it was, and where we were uh, in the standings and the in the ovations we got because it was our home city and and we were having that. You know, it ended up being a 116 win season, oh, yeah. but that was really special as a player. Um, this time around, for me, I got to come back and and more of an ambassador position, and I really got to take in the city, the people, 
uh, the, the events that happened, I got to play in the softball game, but I was on the field for, for the home run derby and all that. As a player, it was like, I was being whisked around. I was, you know, I was in the city, but I was kind of holed up in my hotel room. I would do certain events. Then I'd go to the home run derby. Then I would go into the locker room and hide. So I didn't get to really be a part of it, but just walking around the city, interacting with fans again, you know, and it's been 20 years since that game, but yeah. it's amazing. The Seattle fans and, you know, I mentioned how great that city was to me. Still, it, it was cool interacting. And, the, you know, you, you hear it a lot. Those early 2000 seasons, Booty, they, you know, I was the biggest fan and this and that. It's really cool to to uh, still have that impact, that team. Sure. Those teams have that impact on the city. And, and it makes you as an ex-player, you know, things as a player, you sometimes take for granted. Like I have I have a job to do. I got to do this tonight. I got to I got to get a couple hits. We got to win a game. And you kind of don't, you don't really take in how special of a position it is. Once you're removed for years, you kind of appreciate things more. And and I think this time around, it was an appreciation for, for how cool it was. And and I think they did a great job how they rolled it out. Yeah, yeah, they crushed it, dude. The uh, I don't know, it it's bonkers to me that uh, you know, again, being a fan since, I mean, I had Griffey's chocolate bar, and again. Uh, you know, I was uh, a larger kid. And, uh, so as much as I tried to hold on to that thing for a collector's item to, you know, I was like, I'm, I bought it. I remember I put it in the fridge and I was like, this thing ain't getting touched for 30 years. And I'm going to, I'm going to sell it on eBay at that time and, and, and pay my rent for, for, for 10 plus years. And then, you know, I, as soon as the sun went down, I was like, all right, those meatballs are gone. It's time. It's time for dessert. And I slammed that thing. And it was, you know, it was, at a time when it was like, you know, when I was eight, nine, I caught an Omar Vizquel foul ball at the dome. And I was like, dude, like, you know, to, to love a, a team like that as a kid, I feel like, you know, you probably had that too, where uh, you grew up where? So who was your squad? I grew, I grew up in Jersey. Oh, shit. Okay. So who was yeah. your team growing Philly. up? Like Philly. Philly. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Dude. Yeah. Who was on that? Who was on that Philly team when you were uh, a kid? My dad. <laughs> Holy shit. So dad, no, dad was, dad was on those Phillies team, all the seventies Phillies teams. They won the world series in 19. Holy shit. That Philly team was kind of, was like Pete Rose, Greg Lazinski, Gary Maddox, uh, Larry Boa, Steve Carlton. So you and your bro were around all that shit growing up. Yeah. It was pretty interesting childhood. I mean, it was something for me, you know, people always asked, who's your team? I said, well, it kind of has to be the Phillies. Dad's a catcher. Yeah. And who's your favorite player? I didn't have one. I, it was like, I was kind of so spoiled that I get to hang around all these guys and they're all my buddies. So I don't have a favorite one. I just love being at the ballpark and getting in everybody's way as a kid, which I probably did, but I look back on it and it's like, I had a pretty cool, you know, I, there's still pictures my mom has of me on the world series float, you know, in my same clothes from the night before. And I'm just sitting there like, all right, when are we to be done with this? Doesn't everybody get to be on the world series float? (laughs) A billion people in Philly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I, I lived, you know, I got to live a pretty cool childhood and, uh, you know, I, I still love Philly to this day. I'm not an East coast guy. I'm a West coast guy, but, but the first part up until high school, that's where I grew up in Jersey. You said you have Depoto. You had, uh, Mikhail on your podcast too. For those oh, of you yeah, listening, yeah. uh, Adam's got a, a podcast about last night. I'm sure you can get it wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, yeah, man, we've had some good guests. Joel's been on, obviously. Rick Riz, uh, Kevin Calabro, uh, and then you know it's it's Kevin's started off mainly. Man. I love Kevin's yeah, a great. I love Kevin, dude, I love living him. legend, man, voice of an angel. It started off as a 
you know, having on comedians, a- uh, actors, musicians. So, you know, from Sandra Bullock, Bill Burr, Matthew McConaughey's done it, uh, Chuck Liddell, uh, um, Jason Derulo, and then, you know, um, and then uh, Chevy Chase, Susan Sarandon, and then, you know, Very cool. uh, you know, and then, and then Rick Riz or, uh, you know, Doug Baldwin, KJ Wright. Uh, Sue Bird's done it uh, four or five times. I had Kemp and Peyton on um, uh, a few years back. So once I kind of started to meet, you know, people uh, like yourself that I was, you know, uh, obviously, you know, in- insanely familiar with and a fan of, it was like, why not have, you know, I just had Steve Rabel on, the voice of the Seahawks. And it was like, dude, I've watched that guy for years on being a news anchor and then getting to know like that part of his life, but also just getting to know him, the person like, you know, uh, off the mic as as far as like that balance he had from being a news guy to then also you know uh you know doing uh Seahawks uh press stuff that kind of built him up to being the voice of the Hawks it was like man that guy we just talk about a, a, a guy that just put his his nose down and tried to do everything and sacrifice it all and his wife just being a, a rock star allowing him to kind of make time to do both it's like man really cool and that's one of the best things about this forum and, and you doing this is awesome too it's like you're getting a chance to build rapport with people real quick over uh over, over a chat like this you know um yeah it is pretty, it's interesting because you know like mine it's obvious we do you know mostly athletes and mostly baseball players but then i get like michael francis the mob boss with the colombo pro- crime family and i get to rap with him for an hour and he's like yeah. hey, Booney, if you're ever in orange county we'll have dinner and i'm like is anybody gonna be watching us but it, yeah. it's it's just interesting to kind of get outside of my comfort zone having you on. This is cool because I want to ask you questions about what you do and and how it uh, how it maybe relates a little bit to what I did, but different. You know, a what thousand. I'm saying? And by the way, thanks um, for calling me an athlete. I haven't been called an athlete since <laughs> uh, I scored on my own team in 1994, uh, playing for the uh, the Hot Shots soccer team. Oh, you scored oh, on my own team, and my oh, friend's I- dad called me a fucking idiot, and that was a rap on soccer for me. <laughs> when you do when you do a, a show in seattle yeah you, probably everybody knows you're a big mariner fan oh yeah do the mariner fans come out and support you oh yeah oh yeah i've uh it's it's cool man there's you know you try to dip your feet in as many pools as possible whether it's you know podcasting and obviously you know done a lot of uh, tv and movies and then you know stand up and now social media for comedians has really been a um, I would say a blessing and a curse because there's, you know, a lot of comedians that have really popped off from from TikTok and Instagram uh, and YouTube in the last handful of years, and and some so fast that you know the the uh, expectations and the uh, the you know the the they got a bullseye on their back so to speak because getting so popular so quick there's more people chiming in on you and more people that are looking to kind of knock you off the mountain. Um, like a comedian friend of mine named Matt Rife who blew up on TikTok and and is now uh you know sold uh sold out a, a global tour in like 2 days. I think he got like a guaranteed 30 million from Live Nation and just uh went bonkers and he couldn't sell at a 100 seat comedy club uh not even 6 months prior. So just that has allowed people to find you. I was at a Padres Mariners game and I'm just talking and the guy next to me goes, "I'm sorry man, but you a comedian?" He's like, "I literally were sitting here watching your TikTok videos." And then listening to your voice, they're like, we thought that was you, but we couldn't tell. You know what I'm saying? It's like just that. And then being at Mariners games, there's always people that – and because I do rep Seattle so hard uh, in a lot of things I do, whether it's going on you know, someone's big podcast or during my own shows or whatnot, um, I think a lot of Mariner fans 
you know, because a lot of people are comedy fans. Sports and comedy fans are kind of really, especially in the dude range, you know, are um, it's it, it goes together. You know, it's like you're watching some sports in our highlights and probably some comedy stuff in the same, you know, moment or hour, whatever it is. So I get a, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, seeing me at games and uh, and being sweet. Um, but, yeah, dude, it's I feel like the baseball fan is also a good comedy fan. Do you know what I'm saying? Because. A, you're if you're going to the to p- the park for games, you definitely like, you know, are someone that's trying to be active with your um, activities. Because uh, I know some people that just like don't go to a lot of shows and they'll watch it only on Netflix and YouTube. And I'm like, you are missing out from the live experience, yeah. baby. You got to like come to the park and 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 get a feel for it. And that's why, um, you know, when I see people that might recognize me at a at an M's game or wherever. Uh, you know, they always got a lot of energy. I was in Atlanta and and um, went up to the the booth and actually went on air with uh, Cami uh, and um, and Dave Sims uh, to kind of pimp out some shows I was doing in Atlanta. And I had a bunch of people, Braves fans, come up to me like just walking around and and they just got so much you know positive energy. Again, it's like people I feel like that are that are going to games, especially baseball. It's it's almost like I used to play Wolverine at Universal Studios. That was my first job after I graduated from SC, and I was just trying to you know have a day job and pay the bills. And by the way, your blank stare and mostly silence is the correct response to another grown man telling you he played fake Wolverine for four <laughs> years. <laughs> My mom was like, I thought you were going to be an actor. I was like, I'm trying, bitch. Jesus. And uh, and it's tough out here. And so I um, and so uh, the the same sort of, uh, I guess, enthusiasm that people had being at a theme park. Uh, I definitely feel when I'm at the ballpark. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you, no, you know, no. you see it, people get frustrated. Fans get drunk and scream. Kids might, you know, it's too hot, whatever. But like, I don't know, man, there's a lot. The vibes are, are fun regardless. Even if your team gets blown out or loses a close one, man, it's like people are pretty good these days about being like, all right, that was fun, whatever, because it's a long haul. And I'm sure you guys obviously like are the best at having that like, you know, flip the page mentality, but fans, you know, have to adopt it too, right? Well, I think, you know, as a player, I'm a baseball player first, but but I learned pretty quickly that that it's entertainment. You know, I I remember as a kid in the minor leagues and it's before I, you know, I didn't, my hair was on fire and all I got to do is I got to get the double A, then I got to get triple A, I got to get the hell out of the minor leagues. And I got to the big leagues and man, I got swatted down and then I fell down and I got back up again and it's different when I was in the minor leagues and I'd have a bad game it wasn't okay if we got our ass kicked and I was 0 for 4 I mean I was a helmet throwing bat throwing as you get a little repetition and you get a little experience and you grow up a little bit you know you you learn how to to circumvent that so it's not emotions on your sleeve you realize that if you act like that you're going to burn out pretty quick so, you know, I kind of adopted. It doesn't mean if I get my butt kicked and I make an error and we lose the game, it's okay to. Be, it, it doesn't mean I'm in a good mood and I'm joking and having a fun. But I, but I kind of made a deal with myself is, once I do all my stuff after the game that I do every night and I get in my car and I drive home, it's over. Today is over. Tomorrow's a new day, and tomorrow mm-hmm. might be a better day. And I, but that took some time. Um, and I want to get into it with you and being a comedian. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's probably who was, when did you decide I'm going to be a comedian? Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I don't know, like five minutes before this podcast started, I think I was like, <laughs> man, I, I should go for it. I'm already, he's, this is why he's asking me on. No, I, I don't know. I, I'd say. You've been doing it, what, 16 years now? 16 years I've been doing stand-up, yeah. but I think I, I started to kind of get, get a little class clown action going in probably third, fourth grade. And right. then I started to impersonate teachers and friends to people. And then I would crank call uh, Seattle sports stations when I was in fifth and sixth grade and uh, call KJR and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the, and the um, you know, Cairo stations and just post M's games and post Sonics games. And I call up and I do four or five voices back to back. And, and just to kind of, I don't know. I was doing voices around my friends and I was like, and I prank calls. I think I would hear from, from something. And I was like, Oh, this sounds like a fun thing to do. See if I can convince these adults that I'm calling, you know, three different times and they can't tell. So I'd call one time and be like, yeah, this is Caleb from uh, red Ted. And uh, yeah, the Mariners, you know, I don't think the problem is Bobby Ayala. That we don't have a dollars. I think Bobby's definitely got some brothers that could. Sorry, my inhaler just went out. And I don't know. I think that maybe if we trade K. Griffey Jr. for the Phillies mascot, you know. And I just suggest crazy things, and then I call back ten minutes later and be and you know be like the father of that guy and be like, yeah, I'm just I think the Jay Buna, we just gotta give him. I think if everyone shaves their head, and these guys after a while were like, who is who are you? And they started questioning, and then finally the the producer caught on and was like. I can't believe I didn't screen your number and see that all these calls are coming from the same uh, the same uh, phone number. But just trying to do that stuff and then impersonating my um, uh, uh, friends to to each other and whatever, just started to get a reaction out of people. And then I was like, oh, having a little audience like that was um, was kind of, um, you know, my first taste of of making people laugh that uh, that wasn't really my family. And um, and it just made me feel good and it was like came somewhat natural and um you know again i was kind of a bigger kid so when i would get teased for for that all of a sudden i was the funny kid and not the fat kid so i was like all right i'm gonna chase that feeling do you know what i'm saying because that's yeah no way uh, way more fun in seattle you're walking around all right if if i'm in seattle i'm walking around you know Parents are going to come up to me, Brett, what do, you, what do you think I should tell little Johnny? You know, what kind of drills can I give him? Well, you, you be as layman as you can and you help him out. Usually my message at the end of the day is how old's little Johnny? He's nine. I said, let him be a kid and get a slushy and a soft pretzel after his little league game where he got four hits. Don't be too serious before it gets serious. Right. So you're always, you know, they're always asking for little things. People come up to you in Seattle. Maybe they're aspiring comedians. They've watched you for years. And do they ever ask you for tips? Like, how can I get into the business? What would you suggest? Do, do you ever get that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I what's try your to, answer? I mean, you know, and I, I'm sure you would attest to this. Everyone's path is different. So there's things that you can throw out as far as, you know, variables that you can try to control, which is, and that's what I would say is control what you can control, which is writing all the time, getting on stage as much as possible. Don't be a dickhead. Uh, be nice to people, be easy to work with and, you know, control that. And, and there's a lot that's, that's going to go in your favor, but as far as opportunities 
coming your way, get, you know, setting goals is always good, but I feel like it's kind of a, it's a lofty business in that regard to where, you know, you can want something, but it's like, you know, w- willing it is, is kind of a, a big part of what I try to preach to anyone uh, who's starting out because um, again, there's so many uh, factors that are out of your control. You get down to a certain job. I've lost out on, on so many acting gigs from between me and another guy. And and they're picking wallpaper at that point where they're being like, Oh, the blonde, let's get the blonde guy to, to, you know, that'll be a better to match with the girl. She's the brunette or, or, um, Oh, this guy's uh, following is bigger or smaller or, Oh, we actually want to go a little younger or diversity. We want a black guy instead of a white guy, things like that, that just, you can't control. Right. So what right. can you control going in, crushing that audition, making them go, fuck, well, he was great. Next time something comes around that's blah, 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 and he's up for it. Or we're, we're now just more aware of this person because they're consistent. So being consistent uh, helps. And, and again, when you're getting going, it takes time to find your point of view on stage, you know, figuring out who you are. I mean, not only in life, but like, and I'm sure as, as a hitter, you know, right. It's like you're, you're, you're trying things out. You have a season that maybe is, is not what you anticipated or you're having a, a slump. I don't know how much during slumps you guys, you know, go back to the drawing board or if you just try to like hope you get out of it. But, you know, same thing if you're a young comic, right? You're, you're five, six years in and you're, you know, you're having these shows that aren't going so hot. It's like, all right, well, what am I, what am I doing? Does my energy suck? Am I not like, you know, am I not likable on stage? Is my, the things I'm talking about, I'm clearly not striking a chord with the audience. So it's like, you know, maybe I had a buddy that that was doing a lot of crowd work. Can you hear that bagpipe, by the way? Is that is that protruding through the audio? If you no. can't, I'll keep talking. You can't? Keep talking. No. There's a you? bagpipe playing Spanish at the hotel Bay? for some reason. That's Spanish Bay. The bagpipes yeah. every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I try to get him to play some Lady Gaga over the bagpipe, but I think they're sticking to the uh, whatever Lucky Charms. It just uh, gives us playing. some more ambiance, Adam. Okay, good. Uh yeah, I, you know, I, I just I really tried to uh, without you never want to shape someone too much when they're getting going. And this, I guess, would be my question for for you. If, if a young hitter asks you, like, you know, you want to tell someone who's two, three years into stand up again, write all the time, get on stage because the repetition, there's no replacement repetition, for the uh, without a doubt. Yeah, there's no replacement for the work. So there's shit. There's, you know, even my friend Steve-O, who was on Jackass, you know, he started he jumped into stand up and some people had trepidations about him jumping in. But he fucking put in the time and he, he you know, was up at the clubs every night, went on a big tour and uh, and really made it a priority to where, you know, he now got real comfy <laughs> with his stories. All right, that's got to be loud. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can go inside if that's going to be super annoying. You tell me. No, it's fine. All right. Michael cut in if he wants us out. Yeah, Michael, tell me if this is too loud. You want me to if he cuts go inside? In. If he cuts in, that means we got to go inside. But I think we're fine for now. Okay, great. I, I kind of like it actually. It All right, good. Spanish Bay. I love All Spanish right, good. Bay. I love <laughs> Pebble <laughs> Beach. Um, you're right on repetition. I mean, you can't replace that. I laugh at young athletes, young hitters. They got 42 coaches, and they're going to all these special camps that cost a million dollars. And I just I shake my head and I go, "That's not how you learn." You're not going to be a great hitter because you went to this. Let me see your skill set first, and then we can work with it. But where I learned everything I've ever learned wasn't from my dad or other players. It was getting into the cage and tweaking my hands or tweaking my my setup. Was I open? Was I closed? Was I square? Did my top hand wrap? Did it? Was it close to my chest? Was it far? And just going boom, boom, boom for years and years. And, and you come up with something in the cage, and you go, wow, I got it. 
I take it into the game. Sometimes it was like, all right, back to the cage. I got to work on something else. Yeah. And sometimes like I found something, but that's how we learn. That's how we learn. I look at myself at the end of my career. And then I look at that minor league guy and I laugh. I thought I knew it all and I knew nothing, but I continue. I continue to learn to this day. I have a, I have a son that's in the minor leagues and I watch him and he'll say something to me one day that gets my attention. I'll go, that's a really good point. I think I'd use that in my training or my setup. Did, did you, do you look back at that guy that started 16 years ago and say, wow, he had a lot to learn. What, what do you look at uh, 16 years ago, Adam Ray getting into the business versus now the things you've been through, things you've done. Yeah. I mean, the hecklers in a minute. Yeah, for sure. When I started, I mean, I, you know, again, like not having social media was, um, was, just, you know, there, that wasn't, there was a, a freedom in not having that because now there's pressure on people to be active with putting clips up and taping your sets. There's a lot more work that goes into, you, you can't just be a comedian, they say these days, right? Like you got to have other weapons in your arsenal, which I think you should, you know, uh, be looking to, to approach the business that way anyway. Um, because why wouldn't you want to have as many you know, skill sets at your disposal to, to create as many opportunities. All you want is an opportunity. Same thing for ballplayers, right? You just want an opportunity to get in the show and then and then show people what you can do. But, you know, in, in comedy, you don't want to pop off too quick because I think the more season and experience you've got, the better you are. So, you know, every young comic wants to be better than they are. And even two, three, five, six, seven years in, you're like, I'm ready for the special or whatever it is. How come I haven't gotten this? And it's like, well, you're not ready for that yet. And and maybe it, it's coming, but stop concerning yourself with that stuff again that you can't control. And and why I've leaned so hard into YouTube and doing these like Dr. Phil live shows that have now gotten really popular um, and helped grow my channel. And just I started doing this Dr. Phil bit and then I dressed up in full prosthetic and now have these big comedians on at the comedy store. And we do this full live Dr. Phil show and we had on Adam Devine and Bobby Lee just did one and, and Bill Burr and, and uh, Whitney Cummings and Nikki Glazer doing one in January. I tape them all, put them on my YouTube channel and they've popped off. But that came from me creating from the ground up and being like, I'm not, you know, I'm still auditioning for shows all the time. And, and in that world and in a, in a good way, as far as like, you know, being considered and whatnot, but you can't wait around for, for shit to happen. And that's, uh, I, again, I think I, in any business uh, you should have, uh, you know, a, a firm grasp on that, that you got to, you got to create, as my grandpa would say, your own good luck, you know, and um, and sit around waiting for people to put you in stuff or give you things. Even as a comedian, some some uh, comedians on the older side who are, are not as privy to the social media and the putting up YouTube content and taping their sets and trying to give pe people other re other ways to find you are just like, I'm just going to do my thing on stage and hopefully I'm selling tickets. And it's like, well, shit, man, you're not going out of your way to to have content online and giving people in these cities a way to find you so that you do so, sell more tickets. Does that make sense? It's uh yeah, it does. It's just there's there's you got to be you're your own business, you're your own brand, so you got to you got to be aware of that, but I think like you said even with a kid and not getting in his way too quickly, uh even if you are 25 and you start stand up about where I was and you're 3 to 5 years in, you know, you don't want to fuck with someone's head too much as far as like you should be doing this or doing that because they're still just trying to figure out who they are on stage. And once you get that and you're writing from a place where you're conditioned to see the world in a way where you're like, all right, if I have a, a weird podcast interview with Brett Boone, I know what's funny about that. And I can, you know what I'm saying? Like I can yeah. 
you know, if, if he sees me at a grocery store and flexes on me and I'm like, shit, I thought we had a fun interview. And now he's headbutting me in front of the veggies. Like, you know, then I at least I have a an emotional attachment to why I think that's funny versus right. just writing with no with no point of view, I guess. And that takes time. So enjoy the process of getting better. I could have just fucking said that, but I rambled on because I'm trying to drown out the bagpipes. Well, it's interesting to me because <laughs> your line of work acting. Uh, and we'll get into the roles that you've had and the and what what I've watched and and it's so tough. For, you know, I've done the 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 BS Mariner commercials, which by the way I think are great. But it showed me how much of an actor I'm not. It's easy when I've got to be myself. And and in my day, you know, I had the bleached hair, and it was yeah, Brett Boone's a brash guy, so you got to be that brash guy and add a little brashness to it. So that was easy for me. But the actual acting. Being a real actor, playing someone you're not, not playing Brett Boone. If I had to step out and play like a role, that's really, for me, it's like, I, I'm not very good at that. Same with, I watch you on stage and, and do a comedy routine. I speak all the time. Speaking's easy for me. I find it easy public speaking. But if you put me on the stage and said, well, Brett, you know, you like to speak. It's not a big deal for you, but. I want you to uh, your job tonight in this hour long speech in front of 200 people is you've got to make them laugh the whole time. That's going to be your job. Uh, that would be daunting for me. It would be like, I, I, I can't do that. It, I, I think I'm funny. I think I have a, a little bit of wit and I'll sprinkle a joke in if the time's right. But to s- sit there and entertain you is a daunting freaking expectation that I would have. If me and you went to a cage, you said you played softball. I could probably give you some tips, help you a little, adjust your grip a little bit if you want to cheat and do certain things. I probably couldn't make you a big leaguer today. But if you took me and I said, Adam, what do you think? I got to get ready for this. In Southern California, there's an open mic on Thursday. I got to get, could you get me ready to be sufficient in front of that crowd? Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, I think I mean shit. Is this is this a real uh, request? Are we really going to try to pull? No, this no, it's a, it's a, it's a hypothetical. But I thought it was I thought it was a fun hypothetical. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I would start by I mean, you always want to start off by being like, all right, there's there's got to be some personal facts we can get about you. You want to talk about yourself when you're first getting going uh, with uh, with any any stand up experience you just we want to connect with the audience so um i mean you know i'd probably i'd probably go right into you know you got this brother that also you got this baseball family so like getting into some of the things that that were tough about that growing up and the, the kind of the pros and cons asking about your brother and uh you know who's also uh you know d- done well in this game and and you know kind of the uh the, the the fights you'd have you know growing up that that would uh that's an easy way to kind of relate to people and it's you know is um uh self-deprecating self-deprecating for sure too i mean like and also in, in finding your voice you want to go like what's fu- you know starting off a lot of people end up going more blue than they probably turn out to be um but it's also who your influences are everyone's trying to emulate which i'm sure I, uh you guys do this too right like um you know, when you're trying to find your own stance, your own way of doing things, yeah. you're looking up to the people that you that got you excited about playing this game in the first place. And I mean, you know, I, I know that when I would play front yard baseball, I had a Boone stance. I had a Buner stance. I had a Fred McGriff stance I had a Movon stance. I had a fucking Chris Sabo stance. And I had a and I had a, you know, maybe a Richie Sexton, you know, Coors Light. But you know, other than that, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And. <laughs> 
<laughs> Richie. I just got back from a trip with Richie, actually, in Pebble Beach. That's funny you bring him up. Let's go, dude. Yeah, no, I mean, come on, man. I got a, a crazy mind for all the uh All, all the right, wait, back in the day, we go back to the minor leagues 10 years later for me. We're going to have good nights and bad nights. You're not going to kill it every night. I'm sure you have a like a like a hitting streak. I'm sure you do five or six shows and you just kill it. You go, wow, they're loving everything I say every show. And then I'm sure you have a time where it's a rough crowd, just didn't have a good night. When you were younger and just getting into it, had a bad night versus now being a veteran. And you're still going to have a bad night. I don't care what anybody says at whatever level you're playing at in whatever genre you're in. You're going to have a bad night. What's the differences when you were starting out and had a rough night? Probably wanted to quit versus, hey, this happens now. Now I know what to do when I have a rough night. Yeah, I mean, when you start off and you're so, um, you know, again, the repetition helps a lot of things. Like when I first started dealing with hecklers, you know, and doing crowd work, I, uh, I wasn't listening. I would be, I'd have a moment happen. And then in my head, I'd be like, God, there's too much silence going by. I got to figure out how to, how to get some, some, some laughs going here. And I wouldn't be listening. And that's a big part of it is getting comfy in your own skin and comfy in the silence to be able to like build a moment, gather info and trust you that you're going to make it funny regardless of what happens. But I had to go through a lot of instances where a lot of crazy people really tried to pull the rug out from under me that were drunk or not. And, um, and even I just had this thing happen in D.C. a few weeks ago where there was a, a, an attorney, uh, a bunch of attorneys and 42 people walked out of the show. I ended up buying shots for everybody in the show that stayed. And we had a great time, but it was they were all hammered. It was a holiday party. They were all blackout. And instead of asking them to leave before the show started, you, you know, which feels like a crazy move on the club's part, you go, all right, let's just hope that they don't become a problem. And I ended up talking to one of the guys. This whole clips up on my YouTube and Instagram and. And um, it kind of went a little viral on TikTok because of how bonkers this uh, this guy was being, who ended up, I think, being the boss, because why else would 42 people walk out when one guy walked out? Like, you would think 42 of these people would go, all right, Jim's being a, a dickhead. Let's all stick it out. He'll Uber home and we'll see him on Monday. But this guy, you know, went nuts and it was totally unprovoked and unjustified and he misread the room and. I was asking a kid that worked in maintenance for their uh, law firm if being in maintenance was the dream. And I used that to go into my dream about being a baseball broadcaster. And this boss, this little guy, just starts screaming back and he had a super high leprechaun voice, which I didn't even get to. But he was just like, hey, quit making fun of this guy, man. He works really hard. And, and you're just standing there and, and quit making fun of him. And I go, what? I go, dude shut the fuck up. And I go, what are you also talking about? I wasn't making fun of him. I was asking him if maintenance was a dream. And if you could see, I was going into what my dream was as a kid. It was using as a way to, and then I was like, dude, he goes, well, quit making fun of him. I go, dirt. I'm not making fun of him. And I go, what is, and then I go, you know what? Let's figure this out with you. I go, let's clearly there's a lot going on. I go, and sir, I've been as drunk as you are. I once blacked out in Vegas and woke up to an email from myself to myself. And I go into this whole like <laughs> drunk Vegas bit and tried to like, put it back on myself, you know, and be self-deprecating and, and just steal the attention away. And he doubled down and wouldn't stop. And then eventually he had to go. And then his whole table walked up and the whole crowd was on my side because I kept my cool. I tried to kill it with kindness. I didn't start, you know, you got to hit him and hug them. You know, it's people got to be fucked with, but there's, there's no reason why you can't do it in a fun way that still includes them. Right. And that's, that's the way I approach it. But when people are so defiant and so, 
just off and and drunk to a point to where you go, oh, it's actually better if they're not here because you start to see people in the crowd looking over and then looking at you and being like, hey, man, why aren't you handling this? You know, people kind of expect and trust the comedian, even though there's a staff there to kind of, you know, do their due diligence. They expect the comedian to kind of maintain control. So and not every comedian is equipped to do that or likes to do that. There's comedians that would have one chirp and they'd be like, kick them out. Uh, they don't, it, yeah. which, which is bonkers to me. But so listening is a big thing. And, and that's something that I, I wish I was more uh, attentive to when I first got going. Cause I feel like I could have, you know, grown quicker or experienced more and, and um, it's tough in, in comedy, you know, there's, you have comedians that'll go out of their way to look out for people and, and give them, you know, nuggets of advice. I think that happens more than people realize, but, but to have a real mentor or somebody really to kind of like, you know, uh, be getting uh, any sort of feedback from on a consistent basis is rare because I, I think a lot of comedians realize, again, you just got to do it and figure it out. You know what I'm saying? I could tell you, this is how you should deal with it, blah, 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 but you don't know until you deal with it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could tell you, you know, it's, it's like if somebody told you, like, hey, brother finger comes your way. This is what you do. It's like, well, fucking, I don't know. What else is going on in this situation? Like, how many on? Like, have they played the right. Adam? Is there, is there, is there a base open? Who's hitting behind? Fucking is Ron fairly, you know, doing the post game. Oh, pre barely. Like, we're trying to figure out where people are and what they're adding. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, man, the heckler, it's almost like you're, you're, you're talking the you're telling about that experience you had. It's almost like he came in there with a vendetta and he was going to be, he was going to, he was looking for something to get on you about. I couldn't imagine going to a comedy show and, and going in there with, well, I'm going to be offended tonight. It's like, it's a comedy show, man. It, it might, it, things might be said. There might be jokes made that, that aren't your, who cares? Then don't go and don't be a part of it. Uh, oh, yeah, is there, is anything off limits and where's the line in comedy? Where won't you go? Or is the great comedy just kind of has no boundaries? Uh, yeah, I, I fully uh, subscribe to that. I think funny always wins. I think, uh, you know, there's always timing on certain things. Um, I'm not a big fan of, you know, a comedian buddy of mine, Brad Williams, great comedian. Uh, we did, he did the podcast with me for about, 10 years. Uh, Brad is a great comic. He's also a little person. Um, he actually could be under your uh, desk, uh, Booney. So give a quick uh, check before you get up. Uh, so he doesn't bite your ankles, but Brad is a beast. Go check him out for sure. He just dropped a special. Um, but uh, uh, what was the question? I got dwarf on the mind. What was the question? Is there a line? Is what, there a line? What, yeah. So Brad, yeah, yeah. Brad, anything said, off uh, limits? Brad said uh, he thinks family and kiddos are kind of like he doesn't go after that stuff. So with with anybody, whether it's if you're getting into a, a joke, you know, riff on on Twitter or or, um, you know, roasting some or just in somebody's family or or just jokes about people. He just he just for whatever reason, he feels like that's he just he he cuts it off there. But anything else, I mean, and Brad famously you know, goes after himself. And then, you know, on the flip side, everybody else, uh, he's like, if I'm going to make fun of me or uh, then I'm going to make fun of everybody else and it's going to be okay. And that's how it should be. I think funny, funny always wins. So there's jokes that have been made, you know, uh, uh, every day uh, about, you know, whether it's athletes or, you know, musicians, whatever, p politics, current events, 
funny wins. There's a comedian who um, Matt Reif who who got uh, in trouble for a joke in his Netflix special, and the joke is it's not even the best. Like he's really funny, and my problem with it more so than the the content was just the joke, you know. And, and I think that's a lot of comedians' stance on it. They're like, no, he's not a bad guy. He shouldn't be told what he can and can't joke about because that's what he does. But, you know, if it's funny, people don't usually have an uproar. Do you know what I'm saying? There's always people that and it's subjective. So there's even my mom sometimes on. You know, I have a bit about, um, you know, uh, my nephew being afraid to go to school because of school shootings. And I have this whole joke about, you know teachers and how insane that is and i go how we should arm the janitors these are the guys that got nothing to lose and they got you know they got keys to every situation and they got you know they got they're fucking the most fearless and then it and then it goes into a joke about how i go i I can send you guys a pushing back i go all right maybe arm the pedophiles nobody cares about kids more (laughs) and that's a joke and it gets and my mom is like i don't you know she kind of had a little bit of a whatever with it and but it crushes every time because it's clearly a joke and it's a heightened version of this this topic that feels um you know, sensitive and, and, and stuff. Again, it takes time to build a rapport with an audience and even your point of view on stage to where you're, you're, you can, you can say a joke like that with a, with a likable cadence and delivery and um, you know, young comics that try to be real edgy too quick. It's like, nobody knows who you are, man. And also these jokes aren't ready to be said yet because you're going for like, the shock value of it all and not actually trying to craft and have some misdirect and have some, you know, uh, whether it's a funny act, I'll just have your writing be so savvy that you can get away with tackling a topic like this. It's why Chappelle is still one of the best. It's why Bill Burr is, is up. It's why Louis CK is revered as one of the best writers. It's like guys like that, that know how to push the envelope, but still make it funny. And, and man, it, if, uh, if that's one thing that I wish, if I had a bunch of wishes and I could like give everybody, it would be to not take themselves or life so seriously. It is serious in pockets, obviously, but um, man, it's like if you can really, you know, instead of doing this, do this with a smile. Like I think, man, you like what a healthier way to live, you know. I think you're right, though. And you hit on a great point. And, you know, the last five, six years, whatever, it's been everybody's Mr. Sensitive. It drives me crazy. Go to a comedy show. It's supposed to be funny. It, oh, they'll. Don't worry if it hurts your feelings a little bit. Yeah, don't go. Don't go. Yeah, even if you don't find we'll get, it funny. We don't give a crap if you go or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't exactly. want to hear your moral high ground BS. The best jokes, and I think you make a great point when you say funny always wins. The joke always wins. Because how many times you say something, it might be right on the edge, but the way you deliver it, I'm in the crowd and I go, whoa, he said that. But, man, that's what we were all thinking. Totally. But we just didn't say it. But the way you delivered it made me give the gasp but at the same time that was awesome that was hilarious right. i think that's that's where it is and i i love to see that it, i think you know obviously i don't know how to deliver it and in, in, especially when it's a touchy subject but if delivered right and funny always wins i've never heard it put like that i think that's that's pretty awesome can i ask uh, you this can i ask yeah. this before your next question who was the jokester during your uh your 90s uh squad and then the uh the uh, uh 90s Okay, '90s different different uh, setup. I'm the rookie. I'm speak when spoken to, but I had a big mouth. Uh, but Buner had a good time. Uh, Norm Charlton, Chris Bosio, nice. uh, 
we had fun with those guys. My generation, or or the next time when I came back, early two yeah. thousands, we didn't have to. You know, it was kind of me. Uh, Norm Charlton Buner was still there, hanging on at the very end. Bone was he's a huge, great clubhouse presence. Mike Cameron's one of my favorite men to this day. Uh, but there were guys with dry sense of humors, like a David Bell was hilarious. Willie nice. Bloomquist, nice. the greatest of all time. It could still do stand up without even trying. It is as our skipper Lou Pinnell yeah. is the greatest of all time, and he doesn't. He's not even try it. It's just it's him. But those early two thousands, we you know we were doing a lot of winning, and usually when you when you win, people get along, and you usually you usually like everybody. We had a real special group in the early 2000s. But the one constant from from when I was a young player to the second time around was uh, Jay Buhner. He was probably the biggest influence on me. He kind of took me under his wing as a kid, gave me his apartment, and gave me – he wouldn't let me pay any bills. He'd let me borrow his car. But then I'd get to the ballpark, and it was, you better shut up, rookie. and sit in the front of the bus. And then when, I, when I'm leaving on a road trip, he's going to cut my suit all the buttons off my suit and all the button off my suit shirt. So I've got to walk onto the airplane and I got, you know, the sleeves are cut off my suit, but then I get to the next city and Jay wakes me up at eight in the morning, pounding on my door at the hotel. And he's like, get your ass up rookie. And he'd take me shopping to buy me two new suits. So that was the relationship I had. And wow. he was great for me early on. Cause bone was kind of a big guy in the room back then. And, and he really took care of me in the beginning. And then to come back as a veteran player, and see him at the end of his career. He was still a big presence in that clubhouse. But uh, it, it was I would have said cool. maybe uh, I would have said maybe a Mark McLemore or a uh, Arthur Mac Rhodes. Mac was great. Or, uh, Mac was great. Uh, I'm trying to think of some guys. Arthur Rhodes, like, no. Even Ichiro was a goof, right? Ichiro was a goof. Ichiro was funnier than you think. Dry sense of humor. Uh, yeah. He'd say stuff that would that would just blow you away. Like you turn around and go, I didn't know you knew that. You know, he could be funny in ways that we didn't think he understood the language. Sure. And and I was always blown away by Ichiro. That that group, you know, Danny Wilson's funnier than you think. John oh, I just Wolver met Danny. That guy was a yeah, he he impressed me how much he jumped in the bit boat right away, you know. He's he's great. Uh Johnny Olerud. He's Johnny Olerud's in a different cat. He's one of the best human beings I've ever been around. But Johnny has his kind of goofy, geeky way with his backpack on of <laughs> saying something funny to me when he walks by. And I'll just look at him. I'll say, Big Rude, how do you do it? And he's like, Booney, I just don't know how I do it. I just follow how you do it. And then that's how. I, and wow. for some reason, Johnny, he to this day, I mean, I, I don't think great teammate, great hitter, which he was both of those. I think one of the greatest human beings I've ever been around. And that's, that's truly how, how Johnny is. You know, I got to see him at the all-star game and, and just seeing him with that backpack. I said, rude, you got your backpack. He goes, Boney, you know, I wouldn't come around you without my backpack. You know, he used to stand around during a pitching change and, and now oh, I have a great because he doesn't drink at all. I don't drink at all anymore. But back then, oh, I I I, I drank a lot. <laughs> Johnny on an airplane going, Booney, you know, I'm feeling I got the flu, and we we're going. I think New York to Seattle, and he said, I just feel really awful. And he said, Do you got anything that I could, you know, got any suggestions? I said, Well, let me tell you this. I got something that'll make you feel a lot better right now. I said, But. When we land and this wears off, I said, 
you're going to be back to square one. He goes, I'll do anything. I just got to get through this flight. We go back and we make him like a double or triple vodka tonic. And he, for a guy that doesn't drink and he starts drinking, next thing you know, he's back in the plane with a smile on his face, making jokes. Next day, he comes to the ballpark. He goes, Booney, I never had a vodka tonic before. You're right. Man, for the short term, it was great. But I felt maybe even worse when it all worked. <laughs> yeah. I said, I warned you the parameters. You wanted yeah, I didn't you wanted something to relieve. Yeah, you yeah. wanted to be relieved right now. I relieved you. But I told you what was coming at the end. He's like, <laughs> but just stories like that. I, I played against Johnny Olerud in, in college. And when he was kind of like. Oh, no way. He he was like the the. The, the guy that nobody got to be around, like, hey, that's that's John Olrude. You know, people say that for two years, he's never swung and completely missed a pitch. You know, he was one of the greatest college players of all time. And I played against him in the Alaska League. And then I, I obviously got to be teammates with him later. But he just, you know, he's my partner in crime for, for four or five years for pitching changes. Johnny playing first, coming over to me. And I'd, I'd look at him sometimes. I said, what do you got? And he's like... Booney, I, I I ain't got nothing. I just I need to stand here because it's awkward standing over there by myself. <laughs> but he'd come up to me some days and be like, "You think I'm ever gonna drive in another run?" I said, "How many games we got left?" He said, "Probably, probably 60. I said, "Ah, I'm not sure." <laughs> and he'd just look at me like, "Really?" I'd be like, "No, Johnny. Of course you're gonna probably drive in a run." Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course he's half kidding, but that's the, that's the rapport I had with him. And to is this there, day, is there a him. relationship between second and first base that's almost like a, a quarterback and a center, or is it like um, more? So yeah, yeah, there is. It's it's kind of you know, it's not so much verbal. Because Johnny was a great first base. I got I got the pleasure of playing with some great first. I got to play with Hal Morris, who was an underrated first baseman in Cincinnati. He was great. Johnny oh, yeah. was great. He makes us, all us infielders, look better than we are. Johnny's six five and just with a wingspan. So I'd make a bad throw and Johnny'd make it look like it was right there and hit him in the center of his body because he was so big and he could rotate around the bag. So he saved my butt a lot. But as far as you have to develop a rapport. So it's like Johnny knew how much ground I covered to his right, to my left. So I always told him, listen, you know where I'm, if I was somewhere out of position, I'd give him a whistle and say, just so you know where I'm playing. So, Hey, if that ball's a little to your right, go get it. But I used to get, I'd be like, listen, anything to your right, I got it. So just go to the bag so I don't have to hit the – so you don't miss it, then I have to get it. Now you're out of position. Now I'm not a quarterback to hit this pitcher on the run going to first base. So that's kind of the ins and outs you have. Certain first basements I had weren't as comfortable. They wanted to know what pitch was coming. So if it was a changeup and Barry Bonds is hitting, I'd, I'd give him a little whistle right or, or a sign that we had worked out before, right before the pitch was delivered so nobody could kind of do it. But usually the really good ones, the good player, the the real good defensive first basements, they don't really need that. They're like, you can right. tell me if you want, but but I'm ready for anything. So right. yeah, you definitely just have that in between ball where if you've really got to stretch for it, Johnny, go to the back. That's that's was was our relationship and, and awesome. uh how we did it. We know down the line anything foul territory going. 
I got everything until you don't until I say I can't see it or or something. Now panic and go get the ball. But I got anything over your head and behind. But that's just kind of basic stuff we do in the middle infield. You know, I've got control of this side. My shortstop has control of that side. If it comes to the whole infield, shortstop's a boss. That I love hearing you say that because I, I'm always amazed when things like that still happen in baseball, but it's still, you know, human error is still a part of it. But when you see guys collide over a fly ball, it's one of the first things you taught in Little League is to call off, you know, some people around you and just it's like fundamentals. But but obviously there's weather and there's other things. But, and obviously it shouldn't never not happen because it is still a fucking baseball that's flying around the sky. And right. Depends to- how it depends how loud it is. You know, sometimes it's so loud and rocking in a certain stadium. Maybe there is a little weather wind and this guy's screaming. He just doesn't hear it. So that's where you usually see the collisions. Right. Um, Working actor. I want to talk about that. I look at you on IMDB. You got a ton of credits. And I know we just had, and and this is interesting to me because he was a uh, roommate of mine at USC. And in a recent show, Young Rock, you play Vince McMahon. And my buddy is Matt Willig, who plays Andre. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Yes. And I just, Bro, saw, him I golf, I just saw him at a golf tournament. Gig is one of my favorite guys. He was in college. He looks no different. Just yeah. a big, massive dude. Played in the NFL for a bunch of years. Oh, uh, yeah. But I talked to him about this whole working actor thing. And he's like, Booney you get to a point where you're doing it long enough. Here's how I met him. Here's how I saw him post-college. Cause we didn't see each other. He went, he went off, played in the NFL. I did my thing. And a few years back, USC had a USC legends against Hollywood and Willig's on the Hollywood team. And I'm going, Willig, what are you doing? And you know, I'm the girl that what's her name? The exorcist, the original exorcist, she's at second base and and Willig's hitting and I'm talking to her and, you know, that movie that scared me to death as a kid. I forget her name. Anyway, famous, famous chick. That's Mm. where I saw Willig and we started talking. Then I've seen him at this golf tournament recently, but he was telling me, I go to these, these, these uh, auditions and he says, it's like the same five guys in L.A that we all for the certain roles that we all fit his bill. Yeah. He goes, it seems like I see those same guys. He goes, I've actually become friends with them over the years because, because Hey, this part gets open. I know he's going to be there and he's probably going to be there and we're going to fight it out and see who gets it. Um, did Pam and Pam and Tommy, you were Jay Leno. Mm. Uh, you recently just did uh, finish doing this Barbie movie. Yeah. How big of is a, a, of a grind is it? And do you have a Matt Willig guy? Like for Adam Ray, when you go to an audition, are there other guys that always show up for the parts that you get? Oh yeah. Morgan Freeman and I have been battling it out for roles <laughs> probably for fucking 30 years. No. Yeah. I mean, for sure there's, yeah, there's for, for Matt having a handful of guys that are his same, you know, size and shape or, and, and demeanor. And then, yeah, I've got guys like that. And, and same thing, guys have become buddies of mine, comedians or not. Um, now things are so everything's a, a self tape. There's only a handful of things where you're going back into the room since COVID, um, which is, uh, nice and not, it's nice to be able to have control over your tape and really make sure you get the, the right takes that you want to send in. But also you miss out on a lot by not doing it live in the flesh and getting to, you know, be directed by the you know director, the producers and make adjustments and have them see that. And also, 
you know, if you're good in the room making small talk and having them vibe off your energy, that goes a long way. Um, so you miss out on that. But um, yeah, the grind of it. I mean, I've, you know, graduated from SE in 05 and then I'd say book my first TV role, I guess, star on According to Jim, the Jim Belushi show in 2007. And, and in my head, I was like, here we go. Fucking Spielberg movies next. And then Adam Sandler's, you know, son and all of his movies. I'm just going to be you know, just a working uh, machine. And then I, I didn't book another substantial thing until 2013 when I did the Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy movie. So that that was uh, my first real taste of like, oh yeah, like this is an up and down. You gotta be, you gotta be, uh, have thick skin for all the no's. But then also, like I said earlier, getting good at going, all right, I want to uh, stack my plate with other opportunities. Stand up. I started doing a lot of sketch comedy when YouTube popped off. I was doing a lot of videos with other comics to put online, just creating and starting to kind of, you know, make myself busy and um, and so that I could have a lot of weapons at my disposal and and not wait around for things to happen. But um, yeah, I mean the 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 rejection definitely doesn't hurt as much when you're like, all right, cool. I can't talk about this audition that didn't go well or this part I didn't get because I've got two open mics tonight or I'm, I got to finish writing this video that I'm going to shoot this weekend. Do you know what I'm saying? So I made myself busy right. like that. So I didn't put all my eggs in one basket, but uh, you know, you, you go, I want to just each time control. What you can control what would really suck is leaving an audition and being like, fuck, I didn't like, I just wasn't my best. You know what I'm saying? Cause again, you get good at going, all right, I did all Adam Ray could do. I brought my take of this, part this this character like whoever this guy is to the show like i brought what i think i would do and uh and that's another thing that takes time is going like all right don't do what you think they want do what makes like what you feel comfy and what makes you laugh what you think this should be because a lot of times they don't know what they want so when you're like give them a version that you're like this is what i would do they're like fucking yeah we that's great we love that because we actually don't know what we're looking for so um, when you can just be consistent and leave the room going, I did my best, then it's a, it's an easier pill to swallow when you don't get it. But that being said, there's, you know, so many jobs that probably would have been life changers for me, but then I wouldn't be sitting here in a, uh, in a, you know, in a holiday and express bathroom talking to one of my heroes. So, you know, <laughs> things work out the way they're supposed to. Yeah. And, and you make a good point, you know, and, and I'll tell that to my, to my kids, to young, to young players. It's like, did we do everything humanly possible to be the best player we could be today? Yeah. Okay. We did. You can't control what happens. Mm -hmm. You had three pretty good at bats today. You hit it right at him twice and you got screwed on the third one. Did you do everything? Now, when you, like, like you mentioned, when you start cutting corners, not preparing, not doing everything. So you got that, you walk out of there and go, I could have done more. I could have been a little more thorough in, in this or, or that that's when the mind starts to mess with you. But, but I'm with you. I mean, whether it's sport or, or going in for an addition for a part, it's like, did I do everything in, in my power to, to give the best performance right now I could give, if I can do that, I can look in the mirror afterwards and be all right with it. If yeah. I didn't, man, I, I had some years like that in, when I was playing, I'm like, did I train hard enough in the off season? Could I have done more? I could have. And once I hit that for the first time, I never had that. I had some, some not great years, but it wasn't because of lack of preparation. 
or it wasn't four that I didn't prep for prayer. Right. Once right. that first time I, I disappointed myself because I could have done more, never happened again. Doesn't mean you have great years every year, just the nature of the beast. Right. Uh, I know you're close with your mom and I'll let you go. We've, we've been going for no, a while. I know you're close good. with your mom. She was at the all-star game. Yeah. When I was watching that interview. I'm really by the way, I walked right by it's so funny that I saw you leaning up against the cage watching BP. And I because um uh Ryan Dempster, who I became buzzed with uh, through Instagram, got me on the um uh, intentional talk. And I was across the way doing uh Wyman and Bob, who become good buds. And and so once I got in and they got and I got on the show, I was like, Oh, can I like loiter around a little bit and brought mom, obviously? And so then it was like, Yeah, you got this pass. So I mean, you know, I was going up to whether it's Tim Kirchin and being like, Kirch, man, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. And he's like, oh, thanks so much. And <laughs> what a sweetheart, by the way, that guy, he's like, Kirk, I go, I'm a he's great. A legend. I go, I'm going to do him a comedian. He goes, and he goes, immediately just, you know, doesn't ask my name, whoever he just goes, what you do is so impressive <laughs> by yourself. And he just was like, so, and then he gave me a hug and he goes, I want to come see you sometime. I'm like, all right. So we exchanged info, whatever. And then, you know, said what at the show, hey, who's just walking by. And then, you know, uh, other just, uh, you know, analysts and players. But I see you leaning up watching BP. And I was like, oh, man, what I wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, I'd love to. There was just enough people in the way. And you were like, there was a little bit of a fence. I think you were next to Scott Service and maybe somebody else. Um, do you Do you remember this? Was this not you? Boone imposter. No, it was me. Yeah, no, because I remember yeah. talking to Scotty who was there. Uh, because you know, you don't always talk to the skipper when when I'm in town. So yes, that that definitely makes sense. I remember being like, Man, what I wouldn't give to be a player right now, because like watching BP to me seems like one of the coolest uh things. And it cause it also looks like a cool, like you're up against the bar. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like everyone's leaning up there. You're having a cocktail. You're watching. It's like, you're watching some highlights at your favorite you're, dive. You're, that, right. You're, you're mocking your friends in the cage. Yeah. They miss yeah. hit one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, always, that was a blast. has your mom always been a part of, uh, I'm really close with, with both with my mom. Yeah. yeah. But was she always a part of your career? I mean, do you ever take her on the red carpet? Is she there? Is oh, yeah. she there after a show going, Adam, I didn't like that joke. Or is she very critical of you? Does she praise you? Does she not praise you? By the way, this is this is why the, the show must go on and why Zoom lag is real and why us still figure out each other's sensibilities. You go, you know, I was also really close with and you pause and I go, my mom saying that you were close oh, with my oh, mom. Oh, oh. The joke went right over your head. Yeah, and you know what, dude? This is we'll edit. We'll edit in some laughter and post. And this is, again, me just talking about being used to the fuck, the hand up, the rejection, the no laughs. Here I was, thought I was dropping a little zinger on you. And you were like, dude, we got no just, time for it. Tell me about your mom. It just, it just flew right over my head. Uh, so, yeah, my mom always supported. Took her to the heat red carpet. She she met Ben Affleck at the premiere party and uh, and obviously Sandra and and um, uh, Dan Aykroyd was there. And she just she had a great time. She's always been, you know, she did the single mom thing. And like I, uh, you know, used to say in my act, I go, she did so many things. Nobody asked her to, you know, there's no rule book for the single mom job. You just step up and trust that your instincts are going to carry you through each moment and challenge that presents itself. And I go, did she buy me condoms? Yeah. Was it weird? Yeah. Were they, you know, was I nine almost, you know, were they magnums? Yeah. But she believed in me. And so, you know, it's, she really, she really had this uh, really sweet and supportive 
mindset and I'm going to do whatever uh, it takes for you to be able to do your thing. But she also didn't pressure. She just was like, you know, whatever you want to do and be happy. And then once I started to do, you know, plays and I was like kind of the funny kid, she didn't do anything extra to encourage that. She didn't like sign me up for uh, extra classes, but she just was, and what it wouldn't even like pump me full of like, you're so good in all this stuff. You know, it was just kind of, it was fun. And she made sure I could have the opportunities to be in the school plays and and do this. And if I, you know, I'm running around from freshman year, I was able to play freshman football in high school and uh, play the bad guy in Nancy in the Nancy drew uh, play at our high school, which was a big deal. And just running back and forth between practice and, and rehearsal for the play. And then my mom making sure she'd, you know, she'd drive up to play practice and drop off like, you know, a, a dinner for me because, you know, every now and then moms would come and, and, you know, cook for the cast or whatever. But she'd just do little things like that to make sure I was like, prep, make me breakfast on big football days and and wash my basketball jersey when I got home from this because I had to go right into studying and I didn't have time to do it. She liked that. That was just like making it easier for me uh, and knocking on a few things, but never, which I appreciate, never, which you need family and friends you know, without saying like, go for it, that like, you know, you make laugh and vice versa. Some of my best friends are, are you know, uh, super funny people that that made me laugh, too, so that we could have this like back and forth and kind of get the reps of being funny a lot because we it was kind of uh, they weren't just being, you know, yes, men. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's uh, detrimental if you just have yeah, people that giving, are always they were giving you honest feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if I, and it, so if I really got a big pop out of him, it meant more too. And, um, but yeah, the greatest, and she's also about to be 75, but you know, p- people think she's in her late forties, early fifties. She's, she's going to fly down next, uh, next month to LA to see a couple of uh, big shows I'm putting on and, and just hang. She just loves, she's got major FOMO. She's, she's bummed. She can't, she can't, uh, you know, be zoomed into this podcast so she could, uh, you know, see what your pecs look like, uh, electronically. <laughs> well this is uh this has been fun adam i appreciate you coming on on the show oh, yeah, once again about last night is your podcast uh tell the audience it's yours tell the audience yeah, man. I mean, where they can uh, see on- what's coming up you mentioned la i'm in san diego now if i get if you drop me a line and you let me know you're coming to town i would come up i'd love to come up and see you oh booney i was I'll just wait for you to do it I got you. I was literally just at a new club called Mike Drop Comedy in Claremont uh, two weeks ago, but I will be uh, I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Uh, La Jolla's in, uh, fifteen in July. minutes away. All right. Say it again. Uh, La Jolla is fifteen minutes. I'm in Del Mar, bro. I got you. Oh, Del Mar. That's where my freshman uh, year at SC roommate uh, went to Torrey Pines High School. Yeah, that's where my kids went to high school. That's Let's where go. I'm do you at. Know Justin, do you know Justin Porter? He's the guy that introduced me to marijuana. No, I don't know him. Don't know him. Did he introduce it to my one of my twin boys? Because I I (laughs) want to talk to this Justin Porter guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, That yeah, Delmar rules, man. But that's that was my first taste of SD. So I'll be down there. Uh, All my tour dates at AdamRayComedy.com. I'm going on tour with uh, tour with Burt Kreischer and the Impractical Jokers for a little bit in January and March, and then uh, um, my special. uh, We're we're uh, we're shopping it right now, so be on the lookout for that. I do these Doctor Phil live shows that are on my YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I just dropped my first documentary uh, documentary that I directed and produced. 
about uh, a friend of mine named Doug Ayer, who uh, 1979 jumped in a pool where he was lifeguarding to save a kid who was pretending to drown and breaking his neck, uh, becoming a quadru- uh, quadriplegic, and then entering after his brother saved his life in, in the hospital, saved it outside, got him the strength to become a, a Paralympic champion, became a, a, won 326 gold medals, won a Wheaties box, toured the world with Jordan, Bo Jackson, Joe Montana, doing speaking engagements, became a criminal lawyer. Uh, the story's bonkers. That YouTube, uh, that documentary is on my YouTube. Booney, I think you'd actually dig it, man. It's only forty-five minutes. Um, I'll check it out. And and I'm yeah. really, I'm serious. When you do come to La Jolla, I want to come. I want to come see a show. I, I got like you, brother. Comedy shows. We'll sit you up front. Last one I saw was Seinfeld. So you got a big, you got a big one. Oh, bro. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Seinfeld actually is more uh, curses more than we do. So. <laughs> yeah, he 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 showed up. We're doing this gold glove thing in New York. So we're giving the gold glove for the recipients this year. And I was there. I was giving it out. I forget who I was giving it to. They said, oh, Seinfeld's going to gonna perform. And I said, Seinfeld, there's like 40 people in the room. They said, well, they did a special deal for him. And he came out. And <laughs> the first time I've ever seen him, it, he was unbelievable. And you're yeah. right. He was different than I thought it was going to be. But he was great. So that's the last. He's a great joke writer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and again, it's all uh, it's all it's all subjective. Like you know, Jerry and I got different energies, but but um, tugging at the same uh, uh, giggle strings. Um, yep. So yeah, I got you, man. You want to bring a whole crew? I, love out? I-, I would love. I would love. I'm dead serious. I'd love to do it. I'd love Hell to yeah. do it. And I might wear some Mariner stuff now. I don't wear Mariner stuff. You don't? Oh, you don't? Why no. not? You don't like to? You like to live a normal life? Big leaguers don't wear their own equipment. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it is embarrassing. Now, when I was. When I was Wolverine at Universal Studios, the guy who wore, uh, who played Spider-Man would show up wearing yeah. Spider-Man apparel. And everybody was like, dude, Jason, you're not the real guy. Also, we know you're Spider-Man. Quit wearing the, the quit wearing. Right, the right. Exactly. We know you're Spider-Man. Oh, look at it's Brett Boone. He's got a Mariner shooting. Well, do I have my eye black on? Maybe a pair of spikes. I'll tell you where I got it and I'll let you go. Yeah, I'm a rookie. I'm in I'm in Phoenix. I'm at Dan Marley's bar. Let's go. He had a bar. He had a bar back then. Still does. Robbie yeah. Robbie Thompson is a veteran for the for the Giants. It's him and Will Clark sitting there, and I'm sitting at the bar, and I'm this rookie, green as can be. It's 19, maybe. It's my first. Oh, it's spring training. It's my first big league camp. It's 1992. Yeah, 92. Dan Marley. Walks into the bar, starts tending bar. He came right from practice, full uni, got the high tops on, Marley on the back, shorts. And that's where I looked at him. I'm like, is this guy serious? Because at the time, Thunder Dan, that was a, he was a big deal in Phoenix. Oh, like, yeah. Come on, man. You can't wear your uni and tend bar. This is not a this this is not a Disneyland thing where you're Mickey tonight. So that, that, that really weird, rubbed man. me wrong. I would never wear. Now, when I go to Seattle and I do an appearance, I throw out a first pitch. Of course, I put a jersey on. But outside of that, I don't. Really now, let me, let me ask you this. Last question. Would you go to an Olive Garden? And if they give you a breadstick, would you hold it and then f- do the Booney bat flip with the breadstick on the way out just to be like Absolutely. Brett Boone was here? Uh, no, I, I'd have to be asked to do it. But no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't do the bat flip without being asked. Wait, okay. But I would have no problem with that. Okay, that's that's all I want to know. Just for your fans to know that if they came up to you and Without said, "Hey, man, do you mind Without doing the boony bat flip with a breadstick?" That you're not opposed. That's a cool guy I'm, move. Right I'm there, not. Right? I'm not opposed at all to that. No, I, I. I really. Fans are what make it, and you know that in the industry you're in. Fans is allows us to do what we do. So I. I. I uh, 
you know, you appreciate him even more when you're retired and you're an old guy and you're sitting around doing a podcast. But without a doubt, fan came up to me. There's not too many things without going, you know, there is a line. There's not too many things I wouldn't do for any fan as long as, you know, I, I can keep my clothes on. Of stuff course. Like that. Oh, yeah. I've signed boobs. I've signed balls. I've signed purses. I've signed beanies. I mean, it's I, I, the boobs thing, you know, at the beginning, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. She wants to yeah, but then your wife doesn't like it. And, you know, it's not good for my kids. Sure. To see some girl that's showing. Oh, dad, I saw you signed her, her boobs. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's really cool, not yeah. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks I appreciate for doing it, Booney. It, it, pleasure to meet you. Making it, thanks for making it so easy with the time and the day. I know Mike uh, really appreciated that. It went Thursday, Wednesday, 2 Problem. o'clock, 4 o'clock, 3.15. We made it happen. Thanks for being all flexible. Right. I appreciate it. For all of you out there and on YouTube now, we're putting it out on YouTube. Thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. For those of you listening to the Blue Podcast, we will see you next time.